Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everyone, again. It's great to see all of you. The most important part of the practice is uh, to practice with friends on the path. So I see all of you and welcome you and know that there's a deep joy in my heart to be with you this morning in this way. Um, so here we are. Are you feeling like you need a stretch or should we do the talk? Anybody need to stretch a little? You're good. All right. Um, I wanted to revisit our uh, past topic of equanimity and the healing practice of equanimity, how equanimity can be healing. Equanimity is part of the divine abodes, the teaching of the Brahma Viharas in Buddhism. And the Brahma Viharas are taught in um, four ways. The first way we practice is with loving kindness kindness and friendliness towards ourselves and other beings. And then we move on to compassion, not just kindness, but caring, empathy, and a willingness to uh, be with others in their struggle and pain and to do what we can. And to develop this beautiful compassion for ourselves when we suffer, very important part the next one is appreciative joy, mudit uh, in Pali. And we learn to celebrate and take refuge and feel happiness for others' happiness, a beautiful, beautiful practice, and to cultivate joy in our own hearts. And the last one is equanimity, upeka. And this one um, is this ability to stay in the center of life without reactivity when good things happen and bad things happen, um, that we're, we're not phased, that we keep a steady and even mind. And we say in Buddhism, this is the last attainable, the last thing to attain on the path, the last and the hardest, but yet, we can use this equanimity practice daily as a way of healing, as a way of resting. So a unique um, interpretation of equanimity is to think about the game of ping pong. Who's played ping pong? A lot of us, yeah. And say one partner has a paddle that represents all the good things that happen in life the things we want, the things we desire, and all the things we like. And the other partner has a paddle that represents all the bad things, the things we don't want, the things we push away, the difficulties, um, the troubles, the negativity, the things we just hate. And um, both paddles are present for ping pong. You need two paddles, right? And then there's the ball. And the ball represents our mind and body. And um, what happens in life, it's just ping pong. 
you know, Buddhism 101, it's just ping pong. We swing like that ball and we get hit by the paddle of good things, things we want. And we very often cling and crave and manipulate and, and um, try to control to get more of it or to keep it. Or we swing to the things that happen that we don't want. And we try very hard to protect ourselves and put up walls and barriers and uh, have all sorts of strategies to avoid and check out and run from the things that are difficult. And so without equanimity, we're, we're like that ball between two paddles. And we're just swinging between things we um, are finding comforting and pleasing and um, things that are difficult and hard that we wanna push away. Um, and uh, the practice of equanimity is the ending of getting hit by those paddles. So it's a worthy practice. You know, we don't have to get slapped up the side of the head <laughs> all the time. Um, not so easy to do, but worth it. And uh, the more one practices, the longer on the path, there have been studies in neuroscience where they can see for med people who have a steady, committed, regular meditation practice, along perhaps with some of the Buddhist practice, that um, the reactivity in the brain goes down, that reactive nature uh, softens. And, um, that's good news. So in order to work with equanimity as a healing practice, we need a few things beforehand. One is compassion for when we're not equanimous, when equanimity is not present. Um, we need a great deal of compassion because our whole biological system is designed to react. We're running from threats and we're getting more of what we need. So without compassion for ourselves for watching this with huge heart and compassion for just being human, we can't get to equanimity. And another thing we need is a thorough and solid understanding of impermanence. Impermanence is at the core of knowing deeply the wisdom of equanimity. We must know the impermanent nature of being. And I picked this for today, Earth Day, uh, or Earth Day, when is Earth Day? Is it today or it was some day around this time? But let me read it to you because I think it's very sweet. Um, let's see. And I don't know why I'm not finding it so quickly, but I will find it in a moment. Ah, so um, this is from Aubrey Marcus. You are comprised of 84 minerals, 23 elements, and eight gallons of water spread across 38 trillion cells. So the next time someone says, um, who are you? You can say, I'm 84 minerals, 23 elements, eight gallons of water 
spread across 38 trillion cells. Hi, I'm Wendy, 38 trillion cells. And when we pause, right, and contemplate, who are we? We are, um, we are all these elements in movement and flux, right? We're particles, we're energetic particles. You have been built up from nothing by the spare parts of the earth. You are recycled butterflies. Who are you? Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm a recycled butterfly. <laughs> uh, right? You are recycled butterflies, plants, rocks, streams, firewood, wolf fur, and shark teeth, broken down to their smallest parts and rebuilt into our planet's most complex living thing. You are not living on Earth. You are Earth. So uh, this is a way to see the impermanent nature of this body and mind. We are particles of every other thing that exists uh, in this world and in this universe. We are literally the stardust. And it's always changing. We are one changing, huge changing um, phenomenon. And the experience is changing too. And this is a base of deeply knowing equanimity that we are changing, things are changing, the world is changing, people are changing. Every second, nothing is the same. Every second, nothing is the same. And when we penetrate into the phenomenon of the world, knowing this changing nature, then there's a healing because we let go. There's non-grasping because we can really land on, ah, yes, this is changing too. Changing nature of my reality, not permanent. Um, and I read this the last time, but I'll read it a little bit uh, because I think it's fun. And uh, 330 billion cells are replaced daily. Uh, in 80 to 100 days, 30 trillion have been replaced. Um, so there's like a new you. And um, let's see, red blood cells take four months, skin is two to four weeks, hair, liver, stomach, one to five days. So we are pure changing phenomenon. And um, this is our task as uh, mindfulness practitioners and Buddhist practitioners is to this concept of the impermanent nature of things um, has to be felt and experienced many times over over and over and over again. So when you are sitting and you have your sitting practice, it's not just the concentration, a clear mind or calm or relaxation, but to really see the changing nature of the phenomenon that you think is you within the sitting. Um, and to not cling to any of it. I got my a really tough lesson. And I, I think I've said this before, 
But I will say it again, uh, when the pandemic started, it was really joyful for me that these retreats went online because uh, they're hard to get to. You have to take vacation days, travel, they're expensive. You have to set up all, you know, family has to be adjusted and all your commitments. But now you could sit at home and get on an online retreat. It's not very um, affordable and meditate with people around the world. And I was thrilled at that and started joining as many of these online retreats. Somehow I could make that work better um, from home. And um, this peace and ease came into my life in this very deep concentrated state sitting at home meditating like that. Um, and uh, I, I thought to myself, aha. Okay, are you ready? Here we are in the delusion. I've got it. <laughs> you should be laughing at me right now or with me, right? I've got it. I've got it. I've got a, the mind is still and concentrated and steady. And that state is permeating the home and tasks and chores. I got it. You know what happens after you say, I've got it? I lost it. <laughs> that comes right after I got it, is I lost it. And um, not soon after this beautiful state of being in my home, which I fully appreciate thinking, oh, concentration has been conquered, right? Stillness is here, stillness and sitting and walking and standing and sleeping. Um, after Joel's stroke, I lost it. And it was gone for a long time. A long time. I could not sit in, in the way that I had been sitting before for months on end. It was gone. And you know, through experience is the birth of equanimity. It's like the lotus grows out of the mud. That was a better teacher of what equanimity is and impermanence and who we take ourselves to be. The deepest lesson ever is um, finding that place of peace and stillness in the midst of changing phenomenon. Cultivating that cultivating the acceptance and the letting go of what I like and what I don't like. And even as I say that today, what I would like to say to you is even as I say that, one is I still want what I want and I don't want what I don't want. And that's being human, right? So I can't say that I'm fully equanimous in letting go of the rough things, the hard things, the good things, the bad things. And the second thing is, even if that equanimity was developed and seen and known, and there was a letting go and peace and ease, which happens, the, that too is impermanent. That knowing is impermanent. And so we just begin again. Because really, where, what are we doing to begin again with? What are we doing? 
what we're really doing is cultivating the awareness of the changing nature of phenomenon in our lives. And we're resting in that awareness. So the compassion comes in also when we lose that awareness and we find ourselves grasping and clinging. So I wanna bring up the four ways we can practice this as a, um, as a way to um, healing. Because there's a healing in the letting go. Um, and I love how in 12-step programs, which so many people are in all over the world, right? There, the, that premise of the 12-step program at the core is that serenity prayer, right? Grant me the serenity for the things I cannot change, right? May I have, and we would say, grant me equanimity for the things I cannot change. And what I really can't change is the changing phenomena around me of the world, right? Uh, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the compassion and the courage to put my energy where I can use it well, right? And the wisdom to know the difference, the wisdom of practice, not just concentration and getting to the calm and ease and getting the relaxation, but the wisdom of knowing impermanence of it all and resting in the impermanent nature, resting in the impermanent nature. So four ways that we can practice this. Um, and I've said this the last time, but I sometimes I think saying uh, teachings over, you know, I, I rest and all of us are resting on um, the deep wisdom of practitioners for thousands of years that, um, have gone and sat and practiced ardently uh, in the forests and in, in monasteries, uh, dedicated themselves and practicing over and over and over again. So we too, we get to really go in deep and practice over and over again. So I'll go back over some of what we talked about. One way is knowing when this aversion, rejecting and pushing away is present and how the mind tells a story and bringing compassion to that story, compassion and wisdom to see these, these um, difficulties as they arise, we call them uh, calaces or, or, uh, or um, hindrances. And this is one of them. And I have so many good ones in my reservoir uh, <laughs> of stories, but one of them, that I noticed um, there's a walk that I've been taking for 20 years. And on this walk, it's at Seal Beach. Have you walked that walk where you can start um, near the edge of the Naval Station towards the pier? There's a little walkway that's very sweet. And there are little homes along this walkway facing the ocean. And um, for 20 years, I've walked past this little cottage um, 
and there is a man in that cottage over 20 years. He's gotten older and older and older and older. And so have I, I almost left that part out. So have I, but this man, um, the most beautiful gardener I've ever, his garden was exquisite. Banana trees with bananas and amazing variety of vegetables and tomatoes and his, his garden looked so much better than mine. And I could never garden in the way that he gardened, particularly the banana trees and all the variety. And I would see him out there very quietly. Um, and his back was getting stooped over year after year. He was getting more frail. The garden became more sparse. But every time I would, um, I would see him um, in this garden, I'd try to have a conversation with him about how I could make my garden better. He was not interested for 20 years. <laughs> he was not gonna, he just wanted a garden in peace. But anyway, 20 years have gone by and um, he's gone. The garden is gone and the cottage is gone. I slowly watched this garden decline and I slowly watched him decline and the banana trees decline. And then one day the cottage was down and I'm thinking another luxury dwelling yeah, is going up. And um, I can see the story in my mind of like, no, I want the garden. I want the banana trees and I want this sweet man and I don't want it to change and I don't want it to end and it's not fair. And why is it ending? And why is somebody buying this? You know, and it just goes on and on and on. But if we can see our clinging to change, to impermanence, to what we like, with compassion and peace and be there with it, you know, and really go, ah, that's that clinging. This is impermanence. This is the truth. One day I won't be walking on that path and maybe there won't be a path. Maybe it'll just be ocean, right? Um, to really know that in the bones is a way to be at peace with the truth of who we are. There's a letting go. And every time we can see the agitation from a self story without judging it, we get closer to that resting in the truth. And the healing comes in the resting of this truth, this letting go of this truth. And sometimes, so I'll say two other ways that we could see the mind stories on aversion. Um, one, one day, uh, this was, I think yesterday, um, I, we went out for a quick dinner and um, I, there's a salad that I love, love the salad. I was looking forward to, I had the image of the salad in my mind, so I couldn't wait to eat the salad. And I thought how nice it would be to sit outdoors and have a lovely salad with my husband in the evening. And, you know, right? and um, the salad comes and it's the worst salad. It's a bad salad. It, it's like, how could they mess up this salad? Like, how do you mess up this salad? And um, I wasn't really in equanimity. I was in complete aversion, right? Like, how could they mess up 
a good salad. Like this is an impossible salad to mess up and it was a horrible salad. And now I'm not having a good evening and this is a waste and it was Saturday night and why is the salad bad? So you could really watch your mind move with aversion, how it generates aversion and then it's agitation. And then it's a story of you, even a little thing like a salad. And then it was too windy. So it was unpleasant to sit outside. And then there was car traffic and that was unpleasant. And then, and then, and then. So you could watch how aversion begins small and without awareness meaning aversion, it builds and grows. And it just keeps the flavor of aversion keeps going until you're nice and contracted and snarly. And if you really don't have awareness there, then you throw it on someone, right? You throw it on someone. Someone catches your aversion because it doesn't just end with you. So I could just go on about the mind stories of aversion and equanimity. And I'll say one more and maybe we'll get to the others another time, we'll see. But um, a good one about aversion is when aversion gets strong, like a hurricane or a wind, a hot wind or a hurricane or a tornado, and it can easily turn into hatred. We don't like to admit that we have hatred in our being, but actually we're born with the seeds of greed, hatred, aversion, and it's part of being human. So when we know our hatred, it's a gift. We can really claim it, it's a gift. Um, and um, <laughs> one, there was a day this week, um, and I use myself not as an egoic way, but because it's the most honest specimen I have to know what's going on is to watch this one here, you know? And you wouldn't like it if I told stories about you anyway, right? It would better I tell stories about me. But um, it was a rough week of difficulty, a loved one in hospital, doctors not returning calls, things not lining up, um, a lot of stress. And um, something happened with a, a relative, you know, of um, not following through, not calling, not saying something. And I watched the mind go from aversion to hatred. Um, and it was really just stress from having a loved one in hospital and things not going well, blah, 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 blah. And the next thing I know is a state of hatred. And um, luckily, I have um, friends on the path, right? Your Kalyana Mita, your spiritual friends on the path. And I sent a friend a text and it said, I'm loving my hatred. And she wrote back, Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Just love it, baby. What was she saying? What were we saying? You know, when hatred arose inside me and it was dark and fierce, um, it's not like we have to feed the hatred, act out the hatred, reject the hatred, or run from it. It's that we turn in a loving way and we love the hatred. Till the hatred calms itself down. And then, you know, I could say, um, oh yeah, that was impermanent. It was just a high stress state. 
and I projected onto that person and had nothing to do with reality. Yeah. So we can love the ugliest parts of ourselves as long as we don't act out. We can sit with it in equanimity until it dissipates and calms. It doesn't mean we go, oh, hatred. I'm not equanimous. Who do I think I am? I have no practice. It just means I'm the human struggling on this earth that's often very difficult, very hard and challenging. And I bring full compassion to the struggle of being human. And when I bring full compassion, very often equanimity follows. I'm then resting in the middle of this storm. Even if the storm is inside me, I'm finding there is a place to rest. So uh, we can bring, um, so one is knowing your mind stories of aversion. And the other is reflecting on impermanence. And for me, I think of this elderly man and the beautiful banana trees that were there and not there. They came and they went. Like, and I too will go just like those banana trees. And there's a rest in that and knowing the truth, right? Not just a rest, but a wisdom. And then I know that my energy needs to be spent carefully on what matters. And the similarly, another way is um, to, uh, Notice those desire and grasping. The mind comes out um, much more, not in um, material things, the wanting of material things, but the wanting people I love to be how I want them. That's my grasping, you know? And I, I have to know that and watch that. To see that clinging to my idea of what okay is and what others should be doing, even the government, you know, is particularly, right? Uh, the, that craving uh, and how this leads to um, agitation and a lack of ease um, and a sense of self. And we also described um, being with a difficult emotion like hatred or anxiety or fear of not running from it, but being with it, not talking in your head, feeling it in your body, knowing the felt sense of your body and staying with it. The last time I gave this talk, um, we actually practiced that as a group, but we won't probably have time for that now. But noticing when you wanna push something away, uh, opposite action, as the Buddha said, against the stream, bring your awareness right into it, not thinking, but feeling in the body and staying with it, allowing it to be there. This one simple thing makes a huge difference. So the way I'll end this talk is to read the Buddha's words again, um, and then we can open up for a comment or a question or sharing. Um, so let's see if I can find the Buddha's words again. 
somehow the way I've organized this um, is not quite as good as I thought. Ah, the Buddha on equanimity. And you can close your eyes and take this as a uh, meditation, if you like. As a solid mass of rock is not stirred by the wind, so a sage is not moved by praise and blame. As a deep lake is clear and undisturbed, so a sage becomes clear upon hearing the Dhamma. Virtuous people always let go. They don't prattle about pleasures and desires. Touched by happiness and then by suffering, the sage shows no sign of being elated or depressed. So I will end here. Um, and even that too is impermanent. <laughs> you would like, this would be a good time. And you can just unmute. Can you put that, the last, what we just read, can you put that in the chat or send it um, somehow? I, I can um, put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, it was beautiful. And we could put it in the newsletter. How's that? Yeah, yeah it was beautiful, thank you. Who would like to share? And consider your sharing a form of generosity uh, because really when you're sharing, you're um, letting people know that um, you're one among many. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your teaching this morning. And um, what's coming up for me is that um, for example, say when I'm doing my meditation, I'll, I'll notice that, uh, I start to go into the past and kind of like re revisit like a situation, like a conversation or an, a disagreement and that I didn't handle well, you know, I got frustrated and maybe said something I shouldn't have of uh, that nature and I'll, I'll go revisit and then I'll, I'll, I'll go, well, maybe the next time I'll be able to be like be more centered, you know, the next time that happens. So I get a little bit of a positive, uh, maybe idea about the future. Then I come back to the breath and then, but the next time it, I never tend, it doesn't seem like I ever catch it right as it's happening. Like you were talking about how to just sit with the, the feelings of maybe, uh, feeling, um, disrespected or feeling, um, uh, unwanted or, or whatever it is that I'm feeling when I get upset like that. It seems like I catch it afterwards, you know, and or you know, three quarters of the way through it, and it's already gone, kind of gone bad in the moment, you know. So I was wondering if you have any advice on that. Well, um, the the best advice um, that I have on that is um, hopefully as um, we are moving out of the pandemic uh, to go on a retreat and sit um and sit and sit and sit it's really a long practice um but uh i would choose a reading on equanimity 
uh, and read it to yourself before you sit every day. Um, find one that you like and you know we can help you find them. Gil Fronsdale's written a lot about equanimity. There's um, the, there are um, sayings that the Buddha had about equanimity, but to remind yourself before every sit that we're not gonna cling to a clear mind or a peaceful state. And we're not gonna we're not gonna push away when we have an ache of pain or the mind chatters and you can't sit. But sitting with what is is equanimity. Being with what is and allowing it to be there and knowing that it will change. Always changing. So yes, or you could even write yourself something that you could read before you sit. So you, this can become permeating the mind. But what a good question, because that's the difficulty is that we forget about impermanence and equanimity. It's so easy to forget. And the healing part is the knowing it in life so you can experience it. I'm not too technologically advanced. You know, I thought what you, you brought up, David, was, was really good. And for me, this practice is keeping in mind the difference between the stories I tell myself and the feelings that are really behind it. And um, if I get caught in the stories, it's representing some sort of feeling. And if I can keep my mind not on the stories, although I think what you did about uh, recognizing it as what really we can't do. We can't do anything else and we didn't recognize it. But what are the feelings inside? It's, it's easier to work with um, relaxation and anicca or impermanence with feelings. Stories are just too complicated and they don't really get there. But for me, um, a feeling of agitation or just being upset, that I can work with and um, not that I always solve it, but that's something I can work with. The complicated stories that I have with people who've upset me in my life really don't take me anywhere but down. Um, but sticking with the feelings seems to be a much better way for me to to get in, in touch with what's going on. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the feeling and the sensations that come with the feeling in the body is a good way to be with it. Uh, enjoyed your talk, excellent. And I think we're all dealing with the same things. Um, I find that when I meditate, I can rest in awareness of whatever is occurring in the moment. And I'm very aware of impermanence, thoughts arising and disappearing, feelings, perceptions, sounds, sensations, all that just coming and going, coming and going. Everything's great. Um, the, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to, to see that uh, the, where the rubber meets the road is, is uh, when I'm driving and someone cuts me off, when I'm in a hurry and... Uh, I'm involved in an interaction with a tenant that's, you know, unpleasant, uh, or I've got to separate, you know, two tenants that are uh, trying to kill each other. Uh, 
and then then I find that my practice, uh, you know, is more challenging. Um, and you know, I my my uh, foundation of mindfulness is thoughts. Uh, you know, having practice in, so I I see my mind attach or have aversion to things, and that leading to a train of thoughts, uh, and uh, that leading to suffering, that leading to, you know. Um, so it, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm I'm realizing. I think that my practice is uh, pretty calm on the cushion, you know, no monkey mind or anything like that. But now my practice is trying to keep that awareness, that openness when I'm in the midst of chaos. <laughs> so thank you for your talk. You know, one thing to, to try, all of you can try this, is um, take one word, changing, and see how many times you can repeat it during a day. Changing, changing, it's changing, right? And just hold your awareness in the fact that whatever it is that's got you, good or not so good, it's gonna change, right? And see how many times you can bring up that word, changing, changing, changing. Well, for me, I use let go. Yes, let go, let, let go. go. Find your, and find your word, right? Like find your word, right? It, for, for Anthony, it's let go. Sometimes I'm playing with changing, 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 impermanent, you know. Um, it just severs that, that attachment to the train of thoughts. So you're much more quickly able to leave it just as attachment or aversion. Oh, there's attachment, there's aversion. Okay. Uh, and it just gets cut off much more quickly and you just relinquish it. Thank you. Anyone else? This too shall pass. Uh -huh. uh, this That's too good shall pass. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your talk. That was very impactful for me. Um, I I struggle a lot with clinging, you know, clinging onto to thoughts and stories and everything as we all do. And I found it really interesting the whole idea of loving loving the hate. <laughs> so I I want to apply that to clinging for myself because what happens with me is I. I cling to something and then I, and then the judging comes in, the judging comes in and I beat myself up for clinging. So I don't know. It's, it's hard because it's layer upon layer upon layer for, I have, I have a very busy mind, you know, self-critical, all that stuff. So I can recognize thoughts and I can try to let them go, but there's inevitably this, this, this judging that comes in. And then there's like a, an awareness of the judging. And then there's a, the, then there's a thought of compassion but then there's like the judging again. <laughs> um, so I guess I just wanted to mention, is there, does it make sense then to try to apply the loving of the clinging or loving, loving of anything that is, that is difficult, even though it's something that you don't want to continue? Right. Um, yes, you can love the clinging. And, you know, we're not saying it's not a doing, it's just a being with 
the clinging as the clinging happens. As I love this clinging, I could be with the arc of the clinging beginning, rising up, driving me nuts. I think it's never going away, never going away. I'm with it, I'm with it, I love it, I love it, I'm with it, I'm not rejecting, I'm not pushing away, and it something, the energy dissipates. Um, you know, so it has an arc. Clinging is happening, but clinging is impermanent, and it's not me, it's a state. And if I can be with it and not reject it, and just love it for what it is, baby. <laughs> now ride that hurricane. Uh, it will dissipate. You know, I might be loving the clinging or the hate, but you saw I texted a friend, right? And I, she got to be with me. And so I get, you know, you can ask for support or have support to get through it and not act out in a way you don't want to. But we don't have to reject uh, these, these, um, these hindrances as they arise. And um, in uh, Burma, Myanmar, you know, and in Thailand, they like to say, these are my friend, my cousins. These are my relatives are visiting. They call them their relatives, their friendly relatives, because they know uh, clinging, hatred, all those things, aversion, they're, they're in you. They're going to come out. They're going to come out. It's a really interesting combination of, of being friends with, with it and feeling it and, and fully embracing it, but also letting it go. It's almost like paradoxical because those two things don't, they don't logically make sense, but they both need to happen. Yes, there's a thank you for using that word. It's a, my favorite word in teaching is paradox, right? If I embrace it, it, lets itself go the energy dissipates as i lean in towards it and i don't reject it we don't realize how often the rejecting fuels the things we don't want it gives it more fire yeah thank you thank you good question yeah i'm yeah i'm jeff here um what do we do with something that is not so impermanent like chronic pain well you know, one is to bring compassion and loving kindness to that because that's so rough. Any of us who have had chronic pain know, particularly if it's long and, you know, the level of the pain. Um, you know, if you're dealing with pain and it's one on a scale of one to 10 and it's five and under, you can bring mindful awareness to it and see that this pain is impermanent. It, it comes, it goes, it changing nature, and you learn to watch it and detach a bit, um, and just noticing with the changing nature, you know, when pain isn't very strong. Um, you can really have a practice around that because pain is impermanent. Physical pain it has its ways of being impermanent moment by moment. When pain is really strong from five and above, um, then we really have to practice compassion and kindness and good care because it's harder. The more the intensity of the pain, it is harder for that. Um, but the impermanence that you would practice is around what you could do to relieve the pain and the changing nature throughout the day um, and what helps you with that pain. So there is impermanence around it. But yeah, yeah, lots of compassion on that one. 
Thank you. Yeah, I was kind of going to ask something of the sort. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hard to. I don't know. It's just been. There's some good ideas that have come through today. We'll see how it works. Main thing is having a uh, a respite, you know, being able to actually rest and, um, you know, um, it seems like coming from these approaches requires a level of energy that may or may not be available sometimes. But compassion, okay. Yeah, that and there's equanimity in that too, uh, right? Some days my sitting practice is really strong, and I'm feeling great. And other days I'm so something I'm ill or I'm sick or something's happened, and my sitting practice is right. That's a, equanimity is being being able to rest in the changing nature of even what we can do and not do. And, you know, right now I'm being equanimous on what thought comes into my mind is, but I only want the good. <laughs> Just to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I only want those days where I feel good and I could sit all day if I want, right? That's what I'm just honest, you know, but um, the equanimity, you know, is knowing this is the nature of, of the beast. Thank you so much for your talk. I really enjoyed it. I, I felt like you just tied so many things together um, in a way that was very practical and relatable. And I really did appreciate it. Um, you, you mentioned uh, that there was uh, somebody who had some works on, on equanimity, but I didn't. Could you repeat that person's name? Sure. You know, if you look up Gil Fronsdale, um, he equanimity, he has um, made that uh, the Buddhist teaching so simple. And you can listen to audio or there's some written work. Um, and I actually recommend his uh, teachings on equanimity. Um, so yeah. And um, if you Google him, I think it's F-R-O-N-S-D-A-L. I don't know if there's an E there, but I'm not sure. But if you Google him and you want to read more, he has a lovely way of teaching that I think you would enjoy. And I'm sure Thich Nhat Hanh has beautiful writings too. I've read them over and over and yeah. Um, and the equanimity teachings I've gotten just from reading his uh, narrative on his life are gorgeous. I've read so many sweet stories where you see this equanimity um, just permeate the story. Uh, yeah, well, and Dharma, he's on Audio Dharma and um, dharmaseed.org. Um, and I think his website too has a ton of his teachings. Anyone else? Yeah, so um, I'm reminded as you spoke of, um, I love that we use the word practice <laughs> in this because um, 
there's some major changes going on in my life these days that if I think of them as, you know, impermanent, it just seems so big, right? But if I try to practice with the little things, relatively little things that arise and come ebb and flow in our day all day long, then it's like practicing for the bigger things. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like so many times that, I don't know what even what I'm trying to say, but um, as the smaller things arise, it, it's just an example. I was, uh, I've had some knee pain, no big deal lately, just tweaked it or whatever. I was in the grocery store yesterday and walking, it was just bugging the heck out of me. I was just like, oh, this is making me so mad. And then I just remembered, okay, I remember people saying in these classes that I take on Sundays, be with it. Like rather than fighting it, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to feel it and just say, yeah, that's pain in my knee and it's not going to last forever. And, and it didn't like take the pain away, but I felt differently, right? About the pain. I just like could, I just felt differently, not even about the pain, but just less irritated, right? So if I can then take that, which is a relatively smaller application and apply it to these big changes in my life, that would be ideal so it's i just love practice it's i don't know yeah this is also a great point because um there is no small practice uh is they're all building for they all build on one thing that builds on another if i um if I am noticing the and having about the bad salad <laughs> and I can come back to the center, right? It's building. The wisdom is building and it will build. So yes, there is no small practice, really. Yeah. So. And uh, I, I've experienced the same thing, Sue, and that is the difference in my mind between pain and suffering. Yeah, we're learning not to throw that second arrow uh, at ourselves and at life. The first one, the arrow comes. The second one is uh, we're not throwing anymore. You know, we're not judging ourselves or others or telling a story. You know, we're just with the first one. All right, I think we're at the end. Um, and uh, we'll do some meta practice and you can find a comfortable posture, um, eyes closed or a soft gaze, whatever. And for those of you who come on at seven in the morning, and some of you do in fact, um, we practice meta three ways. Towards all beings, towards a loved one or someone in need and towards ourselves. So we'll do that practice today. It's a beautiful way to practice loving kindness. So may the beneficial energies of our time together be held not just for ourselves, but shared with all beings, all beings everywhere, unconditionally seen and unseen, known, and unknown. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy and strong in body, 
and in mind. May all beings be peaceful, at ease, and free of suffering, and may their needs be met lovingly. In bringing the metta in closer to a loved one or someone in need, and holding this being in your mind's eye. May you be safe from inner and outer harm. May you be healthy and strong in body and in mind. May you be peaceful, at ease, and free of suffering and may you care for yourself lovingly. And bringing this metta in closer to the one sitting here deserving of care, even when we don't feel that way. May I be safe from inner and outer harm. May I be healthy and strong in body and in mind. May I be peaceful, at ease, and free of suffering. And may I care for myself lovingly. May all beings everywhere unconditionally be free of suffering. All right. So have a wonderful, peaceful day, everyone. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.